Amen. Thank you, Jesus. I want to uh, continue on that we, what we started to talk about last week. We were talking about following Jesus. And following Jesus, how important it is that we follow Jesus in everything. Following Jesus gives us hope. And that's what I want to talk today about. I want to talk about the hope that Jesus gives us when we follow him. As Jesus commanded us, and he commanded many people in the Bible, and us included, to follow him, there's always five questions that always come up whenever you're giving a, a, a request to do something. And those five questions are, by who, what does it mean, why should we, where is it taking us, and when are we going to get there? The old who, what, when, where, and why. The five W's. They're good questions. And there's nothing wrong with asking a question. Because you want to know why, what's the motivation, what's in it for people, what's in it for me, what's in it for you. So let's talk about the five W's. Who, what, why, when, where, and uh, when. And uh, last week, we spent quite a bit of time on the who and the what. Um, so we're not going to go back there a lot this week because we're clearly talking about following who? Jesus. Okay? That's just who we're, who we're supposed to follow. Following Jesus is the who. And we talked a lot about what does it mean to follow Jesus last week. We talked about following Jesus means a complete surrender of our hearts, and desires to please him. And when we we'd also talked about that when we understand that, when we accept his call to follow him, like Matthew and all the disciples accepted his call without question there at that point, that when we recognize his call, that it is overarching. It is over everything we do. Everything we do then has to be monitored or, or examined or put through the, the focus, if you will, or the, the calendar of Jesus' will for our life because he called us. So when we follow him, we're supposed to make it um, the overarching uh, perspective of our life. And we talked about it as a daily walk, that our desires are to live a righteous life, a life of doing good things, even if it means sacrificing of our own selfishness and our own desires in order to please God. And we learned about how important it is that we put him first and that as we have different things that come against us, our reactions do make a difference to people. They do make a difference to us. How are, how are the comments that we make, how are they going to um, influence our family, influence our spouse, influence our boss, influence the people around us? How are they going to make us look? Are they going to give us an impactful look that we are Jesus followers? Or are our comments and our reactions to problems in life, are they going to make people wonder, well, they say one thing and they do another thing. So the consistency of our walk is very important. What our actions are implying are very important. Are they lining up with the person of Jesus or not? Or not? So that is, we talked about what it means, or what does it mean to follow Jesus. Today, I want to talk about why should we, where is he taking us, and when are we going to get there? So why should we follow Jesus? Why should we? It's a natural question to ask. Why do I do it? Whenever you tell your children something, what's the first question that comes to their mind or out of their mouth? Why? 
Well, you could say because I'm <laughs> because you could say because I'm the dad, because I'm the boss, because I said so. But you know those aren't really good answers. Most of the time, <laughs> well, I see this one going to be interesting. This is going interesting today already. I can see that. <laughs> Are you paying attention this over there now? Right. Yeah. Because every good, every good command, if it's a good one, can substantiate a good question. So we owe it to them. We owe it to our employees. We owe it to the people that are underneath us to give a good explanation of why. And it is important that we understand why, because here's the thing. If I don't understand why, then how can I expect them to do it? So it is important that we have to understand why we tell people things, why the commands are given to us, not to, be, not to substantiate a rebellious heart and not to say that, well, if you don't get a good answer, you're not going to do it. But I think that it's good that we as parents and leaders understand that we have to get biblically based and we have to understand some biblical concepts so that we can give good instruction. And that if they say why, we can give them a good answer. And a good answer of, because I'm dad, it may, it's not going to work. I'll just tell you right now, it's not going to work. It's going to cause more problems. And that will cause more rebellion down the road than saying, you know what? Uh, that's a good question. Let's look at it together. Because maybe they're going to ask a question of why to you that maybe you need to dig in and understand why for. Maybe you as a parent have always been taught one thing without a good explanation. And maybe if they say why, maybe we should say, okay, well, you know what? That's a good question. Let's go look at it together. And let's both of us then get in the Bible and let's figure it out together. And when you do that, I'll bet you one thing will happen. I'll bet you that will become a quicker revelation to them and to you than if you would have just said, because I said so. Because I said so is probably not a good answer. Everybody wants to know why. Jesus gave good answers. Jesus never he, he, he never rebuked anybody for a question. He always gave a good answer. And many times he gave it to them in a parable. And many times they didn't understand. But it wasn't because Jesus didn't give them an answer. It's because maybe their minds weren't ready to receive it. But he did give good answers. Everybody in this life, the question why comes up quite often. Why am I here? What am I supposed to be doing here? What's my purpose? Why, why did God create me in the first place? And what am I supposed to do with my talents? What am I supposed to do with my abilities? There's nothing wrong with understanding that we have a question called why. Why are we here? We want to be loved, we want to be effective, and we want to be secure. Most people, all people want to be loved. That's probably the one of the most important things that we want, to be accepted and to be loved. And then after that comes, I want to be effective, and I want to make a difference. I want to make a difference in what I'm doing. 
I don't want to do things just to waste time. I want to make a difference. And then probably the other third thing that we need to have is security. I want to be secure in where I'm at. Um, I, want to have a, I want to have protection, and I want to be comfortable, and I want to be secure. So let's talk about that. Jesus came, and when he called us, if we live a life of his calling, we will fulfill all three of those to be loved, to be effective, and to have security. John 14:21 tells us that whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. God is love, and he spoke a lot about love throughout the whole Bible. Love is a key element. We are created in God's image. We are created to love, and we're created to, for, with the requirement to be loved. A, a, a person that is not loved is a very miserable person, and that is a person that probably is the person that's probably not going to make it through life. So it's so important to have someone reach out and say, I love you. Love is a good motivator. Love is something that will help us obey. John 14, 23 through 24, if you continue reading in that chapter a little bit, it says, Jesus replied then, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. Jesus was very concerned about the motivation of what we do. We do things out of love because we love, not necessarily to gain love. God already loves us. The Bible says that Jesus came to die for us before we were, while we were still sinners. He didn't clean us up first and then said, I love you. He loved us enough that he came and died on the cross for us. So he was the one that initiated the love. Now, we have a responsibility with that love that he gives us, and that is as we love him, we will obey his teachings. And it is a direct correlation between love and obey. If you don't love, you're not going to obey. If you love, you obey. So that's kind of a good indicator maybe of where your Christianity is. If you're struggling with obeying the, the, the teachings of God, if you're struggling with reading the Bible and, and agreeing with it and trying to figure out a way around it, then maybe your, lack, maybe your love isn't very warm. Maybe your love is pretty cool. And maybe you need to check it. That's a good indicator of where are we? Where am I spiritually? Am I spiritually sensitive? Am I spiritually wanting to follow God? You will know that by how quickly I'm willing to obey because if I struggle with, with obeying God, then I'm struggling with my love for God. We want to have peace in our life. Love brings peace. John 14, 27, just continue on in that same chapter. Jesus says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives, so do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. So love, obey, peace. They all kind of work together. When I'm doing the things that I'm called to do, when I'm following Jesus, when I love Jesus, when I, I obey Jesus, there's a natural peace that comes along with that because now I am in unity with Jesus. 
And I'm not fighting the Holy Spirit. I'm not fighting Him. I'm not, I'm not bringing up my desires over His desires. And if I do that, that's going to bring contention. That's going to bring controversy. It's going to bring guilty consciences. Peace comes with love, comes with obedience. 2 Thessalonians 3.16 Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times. In every way, the Lord be with all of you. The Lord of peace. You know, Jesus was very good at bringing peace to all situations. In a stormy night, they were on a, on a ship and the, the waves and the wind was howling and it was big waves. And, and we can envision what it must have been like because we've seen Lake Michigan roll, roll and, and, and the waves just break over the breakwater out there and, and the white caps and the big winds. And imagine being in a boat there out in the middle of Lake Michigan when it's that way. And Jesus stands up in the boat and he says, peace, be still. And immediately the waves flatten out. Wouldn't that have been something to see that? That's what peace is. That's the way he brings peace to our life. He can just say, peace, be still. And you know what? We have the authority to do that as Christian people in our life. We don't have to live lives of confusion and of contention and of stress. We don't have to. We can say, peace, be still. Peace. And we can say it in the name of Jesus. This morning, when I heard Erica come in, she was a little bit loud. And that's okay. But I just had a sense in my spirit to say, peace. Peace be still. Peace in this place. And look at her. She's quiet. We can take authority over the demons. We can take authority over the, the, the warfare against us. And we can just say, Lord, under your power, by the blood of Christ, we don't have to stand for the confusion. We don't have to stand for it. And we can say peace. Mm. There's power in peace. There's power in peace. There's power in claiming the blood of Christ on situations. And just say, peace, be still. Oh, I feel it right now. Oh, praise you, Jesus. That, that peace would come in and he would just, it would just surround us. And it would just be such a warm embrace of God's peace. And when you live in a spirit of peace, and when you live in an attitude of peace, people will be drawn to you. People will say, what is that about you? What do you have? How can you be that way? How can you be so calm and collected and peaceful and things going around us are so astray? And we can say it. You know what that is? That's a perfect opportunity for a witness. That's a perfect opportunity to say, I have that because I have Jesus. Not because I'm lucky. Not because, oh, that's just the way I get through life. No. That is a perfect opportunity to say, I have peace in my spirit because I have the power of the Holy Spirit in my life. I have Jesus in my life. Do you want him? Can I tell you how to get him? And it opens the door. And that's exactly why God gives us peace for us to witness under him and for his glory. Thank you, Jesus. Another area that of why we serve Jesus or why we follow him is because of it gives us security and freedom from fear. We all have fears. 
And it's a natural thing in our lives to have fears. Fear is part of the fallen man. Uh, I don't see anything in Genesis when I read the, the account of God creating Adam and Eve that he created fear. Fear was not part of Adam and Eve's natural making. They were not fearful. They had nothing to be fearful from or for. When God would walk with them in the cool of the day in the garden, they had perfect unity. They had perfect peace with God. There was no fear there. They had no reason to be fearful. Fear came when sin came. Sin brought that separation from God, and when you have separation from God, that automatically brings fear. Fear of the unknown. Fear of, I don't know how to ha handle tomorrow. I don't know how to get through today. And that's because we're not having that unity. We don't have that close-knit communication with our Father anymore. And that is a derivative of sin. It's a direct revel uh, relation to sin in our life comes fear. But Jesus says, no, I am coming to bring you peace, and I'm coming to protect you, and I'm coming to take away that level of fear from you. In 2 Thessalonians 3.3, 3, it says, But the Lord is faithful, and he will strengthen you and protect you from the evil one. He will strengthen you and protect you from the evil one. Is there any way to misinterpret that? Can that be said any more clearly? But the Lord is faithful and he will strengthen you and protect you from the evil one. So do you want security? Do you want to have that level of protection in your life? Follow Jesus. Follow Jesus. Do what you're commanded to do. Follow Jesus and he is faithful. And he will strengthen you and he will protect you from the evil one. In 2 Timothy uh, verse one, chapter 1, verse 7, in the Amplified Version, it says, For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, of cowardice, of craven and cringing and fawning fear. God did not give us fear. That is not from God. But he has given us a spirit of power and of love and of calm and well-balanced mind and discipline and self-control. Do you see the difference? Do you see what God gives? And do you see what the enemy gives? If you want fear, then serve the enemy. If you want peace and if you want power and love and a calm mind and a well-balanced life, then follow Jesus. It's an, it's an either-or situation. Follow Jesus, you have calm, you have peace, you have power, you have love, you have security. Follow Satan, and you have unprotection. You are, you are very vulnerable to the attacks of the enemy. You will have dissension. You will not have peace. You will have fear. What do you want? What do you want? Then finally, 1 John Chapter 4, verse 18, it says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. Fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. Adam and Eve didn't have to worry about punishment. Therefore, they didn't have fear because they were living a perfect, unified love life with, with God. 
Now, we're a fallen nature, but that doesn't mean that I can't have unity with God. That doesn't mean that I can't live and I can't be made perfect in love. Now, being made perfect in love is not perfect in the English word. Doug says it a lot, and he says it very well. Perfect, we can be perfect. But we, have to, we can be perfect in God's love, not perfect in, 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 our, in our actions. I can't be perfect in my actions. I, the only perfect man that lived was Jesus. So let's just understand that. I can't be perfect in, in, that, in that way, but I can be made perfect in love of God that then gives me no fear of God. We can be perfect in love, and when we have, perfect, when we have that perfection in love, we have no fear. It just takes it away. So the next time you have that fearful night, the next time you have that fearful situation that comes against you, say peace. Say peace. I command peace. And say it by the blood of Christ. And when you say that, it will come into your spirit because you have the right to do that because you're following Jesus in that. All right, where is he taking us? Where is he taking us? Heaven is clearly the ultimate destination for those who accept and follow Jesus. There's no question about it. John 14, verses 2 through 3 says, My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. Our ultimate destination is heaven. That's where he's taking us. But is there more to it than that? Is life more than just waiting for heaven? Yeah, it is. And there's no reason that we have to wait for heaven. You know, I know that many people say you start getting too heavenly minded, you have no earthly value. I know that that's being said. But, you know, I read a book a few years ago called Heaven. And that has changed my perspective of life drastically. Yes, I know heaven is there ultimately for me. I know that. And the more that I know that, the more that I understand that and, and, and embrace it, the more I want to live this life. The more I see the significance of this life. Because heaven is my ultimate destination. No question about it. I'm following Jesus. My sins are forgiven. I'm following him. I'm living the best I can in my life. And I know he's covered my life with his blood. Therefore, I'm going to heaven. But what does heaven mean to me? Heaven means so much more than just getting there. There is so much about heaven that will make a, uh, more of a significant impact on our life if we live this life with that recognition of what heaven is about. Not just getting there, but how am I going to get there? When I get to heaven, I want to get to heaven in a grand way. I want to get to heaven with a welcoming committee. I want to say, you know what, I, I want them to be there waiting for me when I get there. And that's not selfish, and that's not wrong to think that way, because the only way they would, they would be waiting for me to get there is if I was effective on earth. Our mission statement is to be heavenly effective through earthly relevance. If I don't do anything of this value of earth, then I'm not going to have a welcoming committee in heaven. And I know I'm paraphrasing this a little bit, but just flow with me a little bit. I don't think I'm saying anything that's wrong by when I say this. 
But if I want to have people there waiting when I get there, if I want to have my dad there and my grandmas there and grandpas and, my, and my, all those people that have preceded me, and most importantly, if I want to have Jesus there and I want to have Michael there and if I want to have Gabriel there and I want to have all the angels there, I want to do things now on earth to deserve that. And the only way I'm going to deserve that is if I sacrifice of myself here so that I'm effective here. Does that make sense? If I just want to sneak my way through life and don't really make a difference, then why would I expect any type of a, of a welcoming committee in heaven? Matthew 6.25, through a few verses here. We read this last week a little bit, but I want to read it again. It says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life. What you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and a body more than clothes? Skip down to 31. So do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. If he knows that I need them, he is going to provide them. If he, he's, he's not going to know it and then say, sorry. No, he knows that I need the things. But now it becomes about what my goal is. Am I, am I going after my wants or my needs? And am I going to trust God to deliver and God to provide for my needs? And he will. Because he says again in Philippians 4.19, And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. He will meet my needs. But I have to go down to verse 33. Back in uh, Matthew 6.33 says, But seek first his kingdom. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So I have to get my priorities right. I can't be living my life for myself and expecting God to give my, meet my needs. He says, no, seek my kingdom. Seek my kingdom and my righteousness, and I, then I will give you all your needs. I will provide for all your needs. But that's following Jesus. That's following Jesus. And with that, we have hope. We have hope. He, he supersedes. God's love for us supersedes our wants. And he provides the needs that will bring glory. Bring glory to him. And that's happiness to us. When we bring glory to God, he gives joy and happiness to us. Here's the dilemma of life that we all face. Um, if you could throw up that first slide, if you could find it. This is a slide. Tim, you're going to like this slide. This is a slide about compound interest. Being a banker, every banker loves compound interest. The, the, the purpose of this slide is to show you this. If I want a result up there, which is, this is an example saying that if I invested $1,000 on year one, and if I had a 10% return, which the Shelby State Bank will guarantee you, And if, I, and if I keep that working for 50 years, $1,000 in 50 years at a 10% return will result in about $119,000. Because it compounds. Interest compounds on interest. And you keep getting interest on interest and it compounds itself. But if I don't start something down here and keep it going and, 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 and promote it here, I will never get to there. If you can still the next slide. This is typically what happens in our life, more than likely, is that this is the same compound interest thing. And I start off with the same $1,000, 
Um, you'll notice that the scale here is the other one went to 120000 This one's only going to $12,000. So I start off well. I get something going. I get up to a point, and, and I take something away. And when I take it away, it, it brings my value down to this point of where I'm getting my next compound interest statement on. So I'm, I'm pulling my, my principal, and I'm not letting my principal continue to, to create interest. And therefore, I'm going backwards. And I keep doing that back and forth. Go to the third slide, and I'll show you that this is the combination. This is the difference. The magnitude of the difference is right here. This is my slide here where I put my money in and I leave it alone. I don't touch it. I, I live my life. I'm following Jesus. And I'm going to heaven, and after 50 years, I have that much reward in, in, in heaven in store. This is the slide I just showed you. And I started off with $1,000, but I, have, I, I get through life and I have things happening. And, I, and I, I'm, not, I'm not promoting it anymore. I'm not living it anymore. I'm, I'm taking my own way in it. And all of a sudden, I have a loss, and I go backwards a little bit. I, I climb a little bit, I go backwards, I climb a little bit. And I end up the same 50 years, the same amount of time. But because I didn't live a consistent, quality Christian life, I end up in 50 years less than, I got about $15,000. you want 119000 or do you want 15000 I started off with the same amount of money. But it's all based upon my consistency in my living. And here's the dilemma that we have, and that is that we don't understand or we don't want to embrace that what happens, what I do today makes a difference for tomorrow. I think too short term. My mind is always about my needs today. But if I want to have an outcome of a big retirement, then I have to live today, 50 years prior to, I have to live my life appropriately so I'll have the outcome, desired outcome, 50 years from now. It is really important that we understand that concept because that is what cheats us out of victory every day because I don't think long term. I don't think it through long enough. I think about my desires. Young people, this is especially true with your relationships especially it's true with your dating relationships. I have this relationship with this boy and this girl, and I love them. Oh, I'm going to get married. You're 12. <laughs> You're not going to get married. It's puppy love. But yet at the time, it's so important, and I get my mind in that short-term thing that I have to have this. Be careful. Be careful what you want. God's love supersedes your wants and goes to your needs. He understands what we really need. And when we really accept his needs, he will give us the wants. He will give us the desires of our heart as he gives us the proper perspective of them. So no matter what your age, it's very important. Now I've got to keep moving on. This is the most important part I'm getting to. And that is, when are we going to get there? Okay, we talked about who, Jesus. We talked about what it means to follow Jesus. We talked about why we follow Jesus, because of peace and love and protection and security. We talked about um, um, where we're going. We're going to heaven, and we're going to life, getting to heaven and all the things. Now, when are we going to get there? That's the age-old question. When is it all going to be over? When is the end of the world coming? When is the rapture going to happen? Will we live to see the rapture? I believe we are going to see the rapture. I'm not a prophet. What I mean by that is this. 
is that whether I live to see the rapture or live to see my rapture, I am going to live to the rapture. I may die tomorrow. The rapture may be in five years, but I'm already raptured. So let me just get this dilemma figured out in your mind. You are going to live for your rapture. It doesn't really make any difference if it's the rapture of the church. You are going to live for your personal rapture. And that's all that matters. Now, I would love to be part of that rapture of the church. I would love to be here when the trumpet sounds and all of a sudden we're all caught up in the air together and we're all going to heaven together. That would be a glorious day. And we are very much likely to be in the generation to see it. I really believe that too, by the way. I really do. I really have an anticipation that I will live to the rapture. I'm only 52, 51 years old. I'm not that old. I really could, I mean, it could happen tomorrow. I really believe the prophecies are lining up. You look at China, you look at the Mideast, you look at the world economy, you look at the, the, the sin and debauchery and all the stuff that's going around us today. You look at the end-time prophetic events. It's all lining up. We very well could be that generation to see it. But if I don't see it, I'm still living in my last days. Because I don't know how many days I have. I don't know if I have 55 more years or 55 more minutes. I don't know. So I have to live my life with the expectation that I am in the last days. They talked about it back in the New Testament right away when Jesus first went to heaven and resurrected. They thought they were going to see the, the end time. And you know what? Every generation has thought that, that I know of. Every generation thought they were in it. And here's the point. They all were because they're all dead. <laughs> they're all there. Their rapture happened. So it did come together. It did come to, 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 to um, fruition for them. Otherwise, they'd be some people still alive at 300 years old. No, their rapture happened. My rapture is going to happen. Your rapture is going to happen. We're all living in the last days. Let's go back to that compound example, compound interest example. If I want to be in heaven, and if I want to be there with glory to God and my welcoming committee there, then I have to live my life today knowing that I am in my last days, and I will do whatever it takes to put that deposit on the bank. I will put that deposit in that heavenly bank that will never wear out, that will never rust out, that thieves will never get into and never take away because I am living my life ready and anticipating my personal rapture. And when I do that, I'm following Jesus. And when I do that, I have hope. That's what this is all about, hope. This isn't about a message of despair. This isn't a message of gloom. This is a message of hope because I have the promise that I will have my personal rapture someday and I have no idea how, quick, how, far, or how far it is from now or how soon it is. But I will have that day when I will walk the pearly gates, I will take my first breath of heavenly air and it will be worth it. And I want to go there in glorious style. And I know you do too and there's nothing wrong with that. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 51 through 52 says, Listen, I tell you a mystery. 
We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead shall be raised, imperishable, and we will all, and we will be changed. We will be changed, and we will have that, whether we have our personal rapture or we're in the rapture of the church. And then Hebrews 9.27, I just want you to make sure that I'm not making this stuff up. It says, Hebrews 9.27, just as people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment. We will have that personal rapture. And then you will come your judgment. So let me ask the question again. Are we living in the last days? Are you understanding it? Are you living in the last days? You know, I don't know if Jesus is coming tomorrow or a year from now or ten years from now. And it really doesn't make any difference. Because I know that I have to live in anticipation of that. It's exciting. I'm excited about it. I used to be afraid of it. I used to be afraid of it. I used to hate watching the news. I used to be, hate watching what was going on in the world because I was afraid that, it was, that Jesus was going to come back and I wasn't going to be ready. But you know, there's one way to not be afraid of that. And that is to follow Jesus. Well, that is to follow him unquestionably, uncompromisingly. Don't play the game of, of Christian Russian roulette. Don't think I'm going to get through this time and I'm going, to, I'm, going to, I'm going to have my fun now while I can have it. There is no fun in sin, long-term fun in sin. There may be a, a glorious glimpse or a glimmer, but ultimately you're playing a Russian, a Russian game of roulette. Every time you go out and willfully sin, you're playing a game of roulette. And is it worth it? As we bring this to a conclusion today, I want to read a poem. Jack, if you'd come. I want to read a poem that my grandpa wrote in 1929. Clarence was uh, quite the poet, and uh, he was a very godly man. The name of the poem is called The Roll Call Down Yonder, and it goes this way. There's a song that we all love to sing as through this world we go. When the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. But my brother, don't forget there'll be a roll call down below. Just you listen while I tell you who'll be there. It matters not how high you rise in office here below. Though you climb into the presidential chair, if your sins have not been washed away in Calvary's cleansing flow, when the roll is called down yonder, you'll be there. It matters not, church deacon, how much you preach or pray, though you love the Lord and shout it everywhere. If your life is not in tune with Christ upon your work a day, when the roll is called down yonder, you'll be there. It matters not, dear preacher, how grand your church may be, though your choir sings the most exultant airs, if your pardon you have never bowed at blood-stained Calvary, when the roll is called down yonder, you'll be there. Think not, dear heart, that just because the meetings you attend, of your conversation you need not be aware, if your lip is filled with gossip and your tongue wags at both ends, when the roll is called down yonder, you'll be there. It matters not, my friend, how sweet your testimony sounds, though with joy you shout and leap in the air, if the tracks you make are crooked when you come back to the ground, when the roll is called down yonder, you'll be there. It matters not how many revelations you receive, though you claim to get great visions while in prayer, if a holy, consecrated life each day you fail to live, when the roll is called down yonder, you'll be there. 
My precious friends who dare to think you cannot fall from grace. For the way you live, you better have a care. For if you are not found steadfast at the finish of the race, when the roll is called down yonder, you'll be there. A lot of truth in those words. Would you stand with me? As we have talked the last few weeks, couple weeks about following Jesus, I really believe it's important that we give the good answers to the who, what, why, when, and where. And the Bible gives the good answers. Without question, it gives good answers. Did you hear the answers? Did you hear the answers? Would you close your eyes with me? You know, the, uh, that poem about the roll called down yonder, that is really, really real. There is no middle ground here. There is no middle ground. When Jesus says, follow me, he doesn't say, follow me when you feel like it. Follow me when it's convenient. Follow me when, you've, when you're ready. When Jesus calls, follow me, it's time to follow Jesus. He calls only so many times. He calls only so many times. And if we willfully rebuke it every time, there will come a day, there will come a time when he will stop calling. In the process of living, we all make mistakes. Let's just pray one more time. And I want to be sure everyone here has answered the call at least once. Close your eyes and just pray this prayer. Father, in Jesus' name, I ask that you would just forgive me of my sins. Lord, I recognize the sacrifice of this season. I recognize that when you came from heaven as a baby, that you gave it all. And Lord, now I ask that you forgive me of my sin cleanse me and wash away everything that takes me from you. Thank you, Jesus, for being my Savior. In Jesus' name, amen.